portion of the show. Give it up for the very funny Johnny Erez! Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's your boy, John Erez, and welcome to another edition of my show, the show that we call, or I call, The Views from the John Podcast. Today is Wednesday, the 26th of February, 2020. How are you? It's hump day. It is halfway through the work week. It is all downhill or uphill from here until you get to the weekend. I never understood that uh, statement. It's all downhill from here. It's all uphill from here. Don't they both seem hard? Like if you're going downhill... I understand it's easier to go downhill than uphill, but if you're going, like everybody wants to be up, but you're going down. So when people say it's all uphill from here or downhill from there, it's like I see the pros and cons to both. I don't quite get that saying, you know, because everybody wants to be up, right? They don't want to be down, but yet going downhill is easier. But yet, like an uphill battle, you know, it's it's harder to go uphill, but yet you want to be up as opposed to down, right? So it's kind of contradictory. So I don't know. I guess you can look at it as the glass being half full, half empty, however you want to look at it. But it is halfway through the work week. And before you know it, the weekend will be here, and in the blink of an eye, it'll be back to work on Monday again. So anyways, today is the 26th of February. It is Ash Wednesday. Uh, Ash Wednesday. I don't know too much about it. I probably should. I was raised as a Catholic schoolboy. And yeah, I don't really practice that religion too much anymore. Um, doesn't mean I don't love or believe in Jesus or God. I do. But I don't subscribe to a lot of the other nonsense that goes along with it. Now, uh, I don't claim to know a whole lot about Ash Wednesday. Uh, but, you know, if you're walking around today and you can pick your head up for a minute out of your cell phone and look around, you might see a bunch of random people today with, uh, ashy foreheads and their foreheads are not ashy because they're dry skinned. They literally have ash that's, uh, on their forehead. And I remember being a kid when I was a little boy. Uh, you know, both my parents were religious, so us, me and my brothers, we got dragged to church. And I definitely was not a big fan of Ash Wednesday as a kid because uh, I just, I don't know, I was embarrassed to have an ashy uh, mark on my forehead. I thought it looked ridiculous. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I couldn't wait to rub that shit off, you know. A lot of things we didn't get as kids, and even as an adult, I still don't get it, you know? I have to imagine that uh, God or Jesus, you know, can understand that, uh, you know, I still believe in them and all that shit without having to get some kind of a uh, ashy substance put on my forehead. So, yeah, if you see anybody walking around with what looks like a stomped out fire stain on their uh, forehead, it's because today is a religious holiday called Ash Wednesday. That's about all I know about it. 
you won't see any ash on my forehead today. I, 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 I just don't buy into it. All right, first thing I wanted to talk about today. Maybe some of you can relate to this. Um, I've had a lot of different apartments in my life. A lot of different condos. I've rented houses. I've rented two families, duplexes. I've lived in apartment complexes. I, I've lived everywhere, right? And when you live amongst other people, whether you have roommates or you're sharing a two-family house like I am right now, um, you got to get used to certain things, right? You got to get used to bumps and bangs and thumps and noises and different smells that can creep into your uh, place from the other person's place. And um, I've been living in the same two-family house on the second floor for just about 10 years now. And there is a nice young couple that uh, owns the house and they live on the first floor. They are my landlords, but they're also friends of mine, good people. And this house was built in 1900. I do not believe it was constructed as a two-family. It was just constructed as a one-family kind of Victorian home. And at one point, uh, the owners back in the 70s or 80s decided to make it a two-family house. So it's this place is extremely unique as, to, as opposed to other duplexes or two-family houses I lived in that were originally constructed to be like two separate houses built under one roof. Um, this is a very unique living situation, unlike any I've lived in before, because it's literally like a single family home and you got my room and my kitchen and everything's on the second floor and their living area and their kitchen and their rooms are on the first floor. But there's no sound barrier. There's no extra brick or extra layering. So whenever they make noise or I make noise or they make smells or I make smells, we can hear each other. We can smell each other. You know, it's, it, it's a very intimate setting, more so than anywhere else I've lived. They sneeze, I can hear it. I sneeze, they can hear it. There's, you know what I'm saying? So we really need to be able to get along well because I think other people uh, who have never experienced living in close quarters with strangers before would probably freak out. You know, uh, there's very limited privacy. So it's a unique situation. But fortunately, they're great people. They like me. I like them. And, but anyways, something that happens a lot, and I wanted to talk about it because it is kind of funny, um, is I love food. I love food, but I hate to cook. I've had to cook before. I don't mind cooking, but you know, I'm a single dude. I live alone. I live alone. I don't like to cook. I'm too lazy to cook, but I love fucking food. I love food, but I'm too lazy to cook it. I really am. Uh, growing up, I had a mother who would cook us uh, huge, awesome meals every night of the week, regardless of how tired she was or how much she worked. She would cook full-on home-cooked meals seven days a week, pretty much 365 days a year. And even when I moved out of the house at age 18 or 19, I would still go back to my parents' house for an occasional home-cooked meal from my mother. And uh, in case you don't know, my mother passed away about two months ago. And I have not had a home-cooked meal since then. And uh, that's one of the umpteen things I'm going to miss about my mother is her cooking. 
Now that my mother's gone, I literally have not had a home-cooked meal in months. And I love food. I really do. And she would cook uh, all sorts of stuff from scratch. Meatballs from scratch, lasagna from scratch, Polish food from scratch. She used to make, you know, like full-on Thanksgiving turkey dinners with stuffing, mashed potatoes from scratch, uh, biscuits from scratch, just string beans from scratch, just, just full-on. She could have opened up her own restaurant. She hated cooking, but she cooked pretty much every night of the week my entire life because she just knew she had to feed her family. She did it not because she enjoyed it, but because she needed to feed her family. So what this all boils down to is in the unique living situation I'm in, where you can smell everything from the other people living in the house and you can hear everything, uh, the people below me love to cook and they love food. I love food. I hate to cook. So almost every night of the week, I have to smell their food up here. And it, it, it smells so strong, I wouldn't even know it's not being cooked in my own apartment. Now, granted, sometimes they cook stuff down there that doesn't smell appetizing up here. Um, if you've ever been on the second floor of a house and on the first floor they're cooking like collard greens or Brussels sprouts or broccoli, it can smell pretty fucking nasty up here. But yet there are some nights that they're cooking like some kind of garlic bread or some kind of pasta. And when you love food like I do, and I'm eating like frozen TV dinners seven nights a week because I don't like to cook, don't know how to cook, and I don't eat fast food either. So most nights I'm having like grilled cheese sandwich, tomato soup, chicken noodle soup. I'll make myself like a turkey sandwich with chips. Sometimes I eat a frozen pizza, a frozen dinner. I don't like to cook, but I love fucking food. But there are so many nights of the week that I have to sit up here absolutely fucking starving. Starving. And then I'm smelling like garlic and olive oil and pasta. And it just smells so good. Like, have you guys ever seen like old cartoons where like the next door neighbor bakes a pie and then they put the pie on their windowsill and then you can like see the smell of that pie it's like animated and then it goes into the neighbor's yard and then the neighbor smells the pie and then he literally like floats across the yard to you know to where the pie is sitting and then he has to steal it that's how i feel you guys do not know the pain or the difficulty of loving food like i do and having to sit up here and just have it like dangled in front of my nose. I mean, there has been so many nights that I've just wanted to like go knock on their door and like say like, here's a $50 bill. Whatever the fuck you guys are eating, can you make me a portion of it? Just because it smells so fucking good. And I can't take it. I really don't know how to cook. And even if I could, I don't like it. But, I mean, being forced to smell some of their good cooking smells is just, it's, it's so fucking hard not to, like, beat down their door and be like, yo, can I have a plate of that shit? But at the same time, there are definitely nights where, you know, they cook, like I said, some kind of a, uh, you know, they boil some broccoli or something like that. And it might smell great down there, but when broccoli, like, seeps up to the second floor here, sometimes it can smell like straight garbage. And um, 
thankfully, um, I mean, I thought about this the other day. Like, thank God I've never... I mean, it doesn't occur every night. I mean, they definitely cook... I think they cook pretty much every night. Some nights I smell it and it smells amazing. Some nights I smell it and it smells like putrid. But thank God, um, knock on wood, I've never been up here with, like, a stomach ache. Like, I felt like I was going to puke and then had to smell something disgusting they were making because I think that would, like, push me over the edge. So I hope that doesn't happen, but I guess I'm not going to worry about it. But, yeah, you guys ever had a situation like that where you guys have neighbors that cook and they cook amazing smelling food and you don't know how to cook and, you're, and you never have home-cooked meals and you're just like, fuck, man, I would do anything to go fucking have some of that shit. Occasionally they're nice. They usually invite me over for dinner maybe a couple times a year. And uh, it's always a big treat. And uh, it just makes me kind of look at my life like, damn, you know, you got, you know, most of my friends, they're all married to sweethearts, to just gorgeous, great women that love to cook. And I think to myself, where are, where are all these sweethearts? I guess they're all married, you know, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine being able to meet an attractive lady who became my best friend and my lover, but she also loved to cook and would just cook me meals seven nights a week. There are dudes out there that are married to sweethearts like that. And I wonder if they realize how fucking lucky they are. You know what I'm saying? I've been with a million women and I've always, and I've almost been married twice, but I'm 41 right now. I have no kids that I know of. I'm dating one lady right now, but it's more of like a friends with benefits type of, type of situation. So I don't think I'm ever going to get married, which is a bummer because that's literally the only goal I had for myself as a kid was I wanted to fall in love and get married, you know, have 2.2 kids, the picket fucking fence house, a dog, a cat, you know, I just wanted to be a dad. I wanted to be a good husband. That's all I wanted to be. A lot of kids at my age. You know, they wanted to play center field for the Red Sox or Yankees. They wanted to be a race car driver or an actor. Or, you know, everybody had these high aspirations of what they wanted to be as an adult. All I wanted to do, bro, was get married and have kids. That's it. And I've been denied that basic shit. And, uh, yeah, it's rough. It's rough. It's, it's pretty rough sitting here at age 41 knowing that I'm a good dude at heart. I don't think I'm ugly. I think I have a lot to offer, but yet there is nobody pounding down my door, bro. Nobody. The only women that tend to pound on my door are women that are like 500 pounds. And I got nothing against people that weigh 500 pounds, but if I'm going to get married to you or be in a sexual relationship with you, I have to be attracted to you at least somewhat. And I'm sorry, I'm just not attracted to people that are that obesely overweight. And it also makes me question it too, you know, because I've kind of always been under the uh, opinion or the knowledge that, you know, on a scale of one to 10, one being really ugly, 10 being like a supermodel, that, you know, tens marry tens, ones marry ones, five marries five, you know, sometimes you have five. I guess when I look at myself in the mirror, 
I know I don't look like fucking Brad Pitt or Leonardo DiCaprio or Will Smith or whoever you like as a guy, right? But I also don't look in the mirror and see Donald Trump or, uh, you know, the thousand pound man either. I'm not fat. I'm not overweight. I think I'm decent looking. I really do. So I'd give myself a five just to kind of be in the middle. But yet the only woman that the only ladies that seem to come after me, I would consider more to be like ones and twos. And there's nothing wrong with a one or two, but I'm a five. The lowest I can go, bro, it would be maybe like a three. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I know as a five, I could get a five, or I could get a four, or maybe even a three and a half. Or, but at the same time, you know, a five can also get with a seven. So that's just it, you know. I got no problems with people who are ones, twos, or threes. Or if there's a lady that weighs a thousand pounds, if that's how much they want to weigh, that's great. But I'm just not attracted to overweight people. I'm not. Is that mean that I'm not attracted to overweight people? I'm just not. But those are the kind of ladies that seem to hit me up are the ladies that are a few extra pounds. <laughs> I've always loved that. Um, I'm no stranger to online dating. Even when online dating first came out and I was having no trouble getting dates, I used to go online, like Match.com when it first came out or Tinder, you know, stuff like that. And when you set up your profile, and this is how it used to be on Match.com, and I have I have honestly not been on Match.com, I, I don't think, since like 2005 or six. It's been that long. But back then, and it could have changed, but back then, when you filled out a profile, you had to choose your body type. And you could choose athletic, skinny, average, a few extra pounds, or overweight. And I know it's really hard for people who are overweight to go onto a dating site and to check the box that they're overweight. It sounds a lot better, I guess, psychologically, to check the box that you're a few extra pounds. Now, when I think of somebody, whether it's a guy or a girl, that's a few extra pounds, I'm thinking literally they're a few extra pounds. Like, and I think a few is what, two or three? So I'm thinking that if you're 5'5 five, five and you're a 30-year-old woman and by health standards you're supposed to weigh 130 pounds, and I don't know if that's true. I'm just throwing a number out there. If you're 5'5 five, five and you're a 30-year-old lady, let's say the book says you're supposed to weigh 130 and you weigh 135, then that would be an accurate statement to put that you're a few extra pounds, like you're three pounds over your ideal weight. But let me tell you how many people out there, and guys might do this too, but I'm a heterosexual male, so I don't look at guys' profiles. So I can only comment on the ladies, but there were numerous ladies out there who ch checked the few extra pounds box, but they were way bigger than being a few extra pounds. And I get it. It's a very touchy subject. I was thin, like rail thin, the majority of my life. Five or six years ago, I became a little bit more than a few extra pounds myself. And let me tell you, there is nothing that'll kill your confidence more than gaining weight. Literally.
And over this summer, I lost close to 40 pounds, and now I'm back down to being a good weight again. But yet, that hasn't changed, you know, that hasn't changed. At least my luck hasn't changed in terms of me weighing less. But I've been there. I was skinny my whole life, and then I got into my mid-30s, and I gained, you know, 40 more pounds than I should have been, and I looked sloppy. And now I'm back down to a good weight again, and it's definitely built my confidence back up, and I will not let myself become a few extra pounds again. But uh, I don't even know where I'm going with this. But yeah, there's a lot of ladies out there that seem to like Johnny Ares that are a few extra pounds or heavier. And I got no problem with ladies that are a few extra pounds. If that's what you are, that's what you are, you know. But um, I can't sit here and lie to myself or them and say I'm attracted to somebody who's out of shape. I'm not. And it seems like the only ladies that I've been attracting the last several years are women that are, like, really overweight. And that's great. Like I said, if that's what you want to be like or that's how you are, I'm not going to hold it against you. But I'm, I'm not attracted to it. I can't, you know, I can't force myself to, to be attracted to somebody who's overweight. So is that me being shallow? that I can't succumb to dating a, a lady who's overweight. And honest to God, dude, I'm not looking for a supermodel. That's like a size two. I mean, if, if you're a size two, that works. I'm all about size two. I like skinny ladies. Not super skinny, but if they're skinny, I mean, I'd rather skinny than overweight. That's just what I'm attracted to. And if I'm going to date you and things are going to get sexual, there has to be somewhat of an attraction there. So like I said, I mean, I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, yeah, I'm a five, you know, maybe I could be a seven or a three, but I think to be fair, I'm a five. But yet, you know, everybody that seems to hit me up online is is uh, just very not attractive, you know, and I don't know. It makes me feel like I'm not very attractive and maybe I'm not. You know, maybe I'm giving myself too much of a benefit of the doubt. Maybe I see myself as a five in the mirror, but in reality, I'm more like a two or a one. Or I don't know, maybe I smell really bad and don't even realize it. I don't know. Something something I'm doing, whether it is uh, conscious or subconsciously, seems to be repelling women like fucking mosquito repellent. And <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. But yeah, it can be it can be a gut punch. It can be a gut punch. So now that I've embarrassed myself by telling you how unlucky I am with the ladies, let's talk about something else. Let's see. Uh, you know, I came to the conclusion of something yesterday, and it's something else I'm a little bit embarrassed about. Now, the only language that I can speak, and I can, I'm not really that good at it, is English, right? I speak American. But uh, I can speak a little bit of Spanish. I can speak enough Spanish to get myself in trouble and to navigate my way around if I was in Spain or Puerto Rico or Mexico. Uh, I had a lot of Spanish friends growing up. I took Spanish as a language in school. So I can speak it a little bit. Uh, but for the most part, when I hear another language, it just sounds like bagada 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 to me, right? 
Because literally, if someone's talking to you in another language, you can't understand it. It just sounds like you don't understand it. So there's a lot of languages that gets spoken all across the world. Like how many languages are there? Like 100, 200, 300 languages? I have no idea. But there's a lot of languages. And the only one I can speak fluently is English. But I hear a lot of different languages. And from a audio perspective, without being able to understand what they're saying, you know what language I've always been really intrigued by? I just like the sound of it. But I've been apprehensive to tell people I like the sound of it because these people were pretty fucking evil people back in the 40s. And if you haven't guessed it by now, it's German. I've always loved the, uh, the sound or the cadence or the notes or whatever you, whatever you want to call it, like the, like the audible experience of listening to the German language, I've always been attracted to it. And I don't know if that's just like the white evil in me that's somehow attracted to like the German language because of fucking Hitler in World War II, or if it's just, or if that's why I feel uncomfortable saying that I'm attracted to the German language because of like Hitler in World War II and shit and just how horrible the fucking Nazis were. So, but yeah. When I hear the German language, the Guten, I, I can't even do it. Um, uh, do I know any German languages? I know Ditter. Ditter is please, isn't it? Like, when I think of the German language, like, you know what movie I think of? When I think of the German language, I think of the Born Identity. Remember the very first Born Identity? With uh, Matt Damon? Uh, when he goes to, like, Germany, and he's looking for Pamela Landy. He, you know, he calls up some German hotel and he's like, Pamela Landi Ditta. So obviously the Ditta means please, right? Um, but yeah, just w when I hear the German languages, um, uh, like what was I watching the other night? I was watching the Quentin Tarantino movie for the 50th time, uh, Inglorious Bastards. Have you ever seen Inglorious Bastards? That takes place in World War II. So there's a lot of German speaking in that movie. And, uh, you know, all the scenes with the German uh, speaking, like, uh, um, I think Eli Roth, was it Eli Roth that played the bear Jew in that movie? And then anytime you hear a German in German say bear Jew, it's like bad and you didn't, bad and you didn't, the bad and you didn't. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But out of all the languages that I've heard that I don't understand, I really am attracted, almost like music, to just the sound of the German language. And it makes me want to learn German. But my whole point is that I feel, I feel guilty. I feel bad being attracted to the German language because of the Nazis and Adolf Hitler. And I, you know, and I don't want to add to this toxic white dude, you know, kind of fucking appearance that I have, you know, as if people don't automatically look at a white straight dude as being toxic, you know, I'm going to go and speak German too, you know, it just pick up another horrible quality in the, you know, in the eyes of the world in 2020, you know, we're all supposed to walk around on eggshells. I guess now, to be politically correct and all this shit. And I'm going to go, you know, 
added, I'm, I'm going to go check another box off of how much more I can be disliked by picking up German and sounding like fucking Hitler. So, I don't know. That's what I think. That's the craziness of my, uh, of my uh, thought process. I love the way German sounds, but I'm afraid to speak it or learn it because of, you know, fucking Adolf Hitler and the fucking uh, Nazis and what they did, right? So, that's that. Um... You know what I have written down? I'm going to tell you a true story. And the moral of this story is really important for me to get across, okay? I'm going to talk about Donald Trump, and I'm going to talk about Bernie Sanders. And I'm going to talk about my personal experience over the last year with politics. And I feel this is extremely important for all of you to pay attention to, okay? I hate politics. I never understood politics. Um, never cared to, never wanted to. I'm not Democrat. I'm not Republican. I look at myself as being independent. Um, I am not, and I underscore, not a fucking liberal, okay? Um, I'm just one of these people that just thinks that the best person for the job that has the best resume, regardless of their race, or their color, or their gender, should get the job. I don't care if you're Democrat. I don't care if you're Republican. I don't care if you have blue skin and don't have a vagina or a penis. If you have the best qualities to run America, then you should be president. That's always the way I've thought about it. I don't like how the right yells at the left. I don't like how the left yells at the right. I don't think that gets anything fucking accomplished. So I've always hated politics, never understood it. And here we are. Trump got elected president in 2016. I didn't like Trump before he became president. I don't like him as president. And it's not that I disagree with the way or what Trump has done as a president. I just, I don't like him as a person. And I've gotten tired of just every station and every channel, night after night, bitching and complaining and whining about Trump. He's such an easy target. And I even talk shit about how I'm Trumped out with jokes. I'm tired of hearing this fucking guy's name. I really am. Um, just like Mark said on the podcast like a few months ago. We were talking about Trump, and he's like, yeah, I hate Trump too. But at the same time, he is the president. He is the captain of the ship, and I do not want the ship to sink. And that I thought that was perfect. That's how I feel. I don't like Donald Trump as a person. I think he's a fucking douchebag. But as a president, if you look at the things he's done for this country in terms of the economy and shit like that, he's done a decent job. He really has. No president has ever directly affected my life for the better or for the worse. Okay? I cannot help who gets elected. I can only cast my single vote. But if the person I voted for gets elected, there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm going to support them. I don't call myself a Trump supporter because I fucking hate Trump. And my hatred of Trump the person as opposed to Trump the president got so bad this summer that I needed a way out. I needed, I needed to know who the Democratic candidates were running for 2020 because I wanted to know who I was going to vote for. 
because my hatred of Trump was so strong and is so strong, I want to see him out. However, this is the point that I'm trying to make. When my hatred of Trump reached a critical point this summer, I looked to Bernie Sanders. And I watched Bernie Sanders' interview on Joe Rogan, two and a half hours long. And I fell in love with Bernie. And I fell in love with his ideas. You fast forward to six months later, or seven months later, to where I sit now. And I still hate Trump as a person. But I think he's doing a decent job as far as the country goes in terms of running it. Now, I like Bernie a lot more as a person than I like Trump. However, I'm starting to backpedal on my support for Bernie because a lot of his socialist ideas, I think, are on paper, they sound cool. They sound different, but I think they're going to fuck this country up more. So my whole point is if, is if you don't like Trump like I do as a person, it's important to not let your hatred of Trump as a person dictate your vote for somebody else. Because even though Bernie comes off like much more of a regular human person or guy than Trump does, if Bernie gets elected president and implements a lot of his socialist ideas, which I was all on board for at first, I think they're going to fuck this country up more. And this is coming from a place of pure honesty. I've said it over and over and over again. I don't understand politics. I don't get politics. I don't get involved in politics. I am not registered as a Republican, Democrat, Independent. None of it. I can see the pros and cons to all sides of the argument. My point is, is I let my hatred of Trump and all the shit talking that goes on about Trump, I allowed that shit to affect me. And then I was kind of forced to find somebody I liked that I could nominate in 2020. And I got pushed over to Bernie. And because I hated Trump so much and everything Bernie said made so much sense, I was like, I'm fucking for Bernie. Bernie 2020. But now that I've done more research unbiased research on what exactly Bernie wants to do, I do not believe it's going to work. So what my whole point is, and I hope you fucking understand this, is that I am one of the biggest Trump haters on the fucking planet. I don't hate Trump because I think he's doing a bad job as a president. I just hate Trump because I just hate him as a fucking person. I think he acts like a fucking douchebag. But it is important to not let my hatred of the man and how he acts overshadow what he's doing in terms of like how good of a job he's doing. The country and the economy and everything right now is stable as fuck. I know the stock market was recently crashing, but that's got more to do with the coronavirus and the fucking media freaking everybody out about that, which I don't buy into. If you are freaked out over this coronavirus thinking it's the end of the world, relax. This is what the media does. And I've explained this before, too. I cannot stand it because there are people out there, like my father, who buys into it. I was on the phone with him last night when ABC or NBC or somebody broke in to a TV show at 7 o'clock at night 
pretty much spelling out the end of the fucking world because the coronavirus is now coming into America. And I'm telling you people, this is what the news does. If you were to make a boring TV show that had no action, nobody would tune into it. So when the news comes on, they have to give you the news as as exciting as they can to freak you the fuck out so you tune in. People love drama, right? People love action. That's why there's no good news stations because people don't want to sit there and listen to good news. They want to listen to bad news. And the badder they can make the news and the more they can hype it up, the better they feel like they're doing their job. But it freaks people the fuck out. And since the news came on last night telling people that, "Uh uh-oh, coronavirus, it's in America, it's going to wipe us out, you got people literally freaking the fuck out. And it's just like, yo, like, that's one of the reasons I don't listen to the news. There's nothing I can do or you can do about the coronavirus. There's nothing we can do. Nobody can stop it but doctors and the CDC and that kind of shit. So in the meantime, try not to freak out and worry about shit that is out of our control. I am going to continue to go into public and try to not touch my face or my hands or touch anything that the rest of the public does. And before I go to eat anything, I'm going to scrub the fuck out of my hands. The same thing I try to do to, to avoid not getting the flu or avoid not getting a cold. You got to do the same thing. If you're feeling sick, stay the fuck home. Instead of coughing into your hand or not even covering your mouth when you cough, cough into the, uh, like, cough into your, uh, like, uh, whatever it's called. Like, your, not your armpit, but where your fucking arm bends. Cough into your sleeve. Because if you cough into your hand... And then you go and touch a doctor's doorknob, and then a healthy guy walks in, touches that fucking doorknob. Now they're sick. So you think you're being polite by coughing into your hand, but you're actually not helping anybody. And you're not helping anybody if you're fucking sick and you're going into work. You're just going to get everybody else fucking sick, right? And that's always been a thing. You know, anytime I would get sick, I would call out of work, and then work would be like, that's fucked up. And it's like, yo, you want me to come into fucking work sick and get you all, you fuckers sick? I mean, I've been sick like puking before and had bosses be like, well, you're still coming in. I'm like, really? You want me to come in and fucking puke all over your fucking computer, you fucking retard? Why the fuck? I, 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 I've never gotten it, man. I don't get it. If you're sick, stay the fuck home. So that's my point, man. My point is, is that, yes, the coronavirus could be in America. It could be. It could be on your doorknob outside. Don't freak out about it. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. But to go around worrying about it isn't going to solve a fucking thing. So just relax. Take your typical precautions by not touching anything public. Keep your hands away from your face. And if you have to touch your face or touch something that's going to go in your mouth, wash your fucking hands. It's that easy. And if you're not feeling well, stay home. You don't want to spread that shit around. You know? Is is this not just common sense 101? I think it is. But anyways, I hope you understood what I was talking about when it came to uh, Trump 
and Bernie. Because I think there's a lot of people out there that are like me that are letting their hatred of Donald Trump as a person push them over to the Bernie Sanders corner. Because Bernie comes off like a lot nicer of a dude. But I'm telling you people something. I've been there. I've been on both sides of this fence now. And I'm telling you, when it comes down to Bernie or Trump, I don't want Bernie to win. And it's not because I don't like Bernie as a person. I would love to see Trump out of there. Why? Because I don't like him as a person. But is that a good reason to get rid of him as a president? Because I don't like him as a person? Seriously, you got to think about it. Because I was ready six months ago to vote for Bernie blindly because I just hated Trump so much. But now that I've sat down with people much more intelligent that know way more than I do, that are literally neutral people, they're not left or right, they just understand and know politics a lot more than I do, I've learned that a lot of what Bernie wants to do, even though it seems good on paper, is really going to fuck this economy up. Big time. Big time. So even though I like Bernie a lot more as a person, I think he's going to do a lot of damage to this country. And because I hate Trump as a person, I was going to vote Trump out. Now, I'm not saying I'm voting for Trump. But I am definitely not voting for Bernie. And it has nothing to do with me being Democratic or Republican. It doesn't. I've even told you guys this, that this summer I had to look up in a dictionary the definition of a Republican and a Democrat. That's how much I didn't know. And when I read the definition of a Republican and a Democrat, I identified more with the Republican side of the definition. And even though I identify more with the Republican side, I voted for Barack Obama twice. So stick that in your pipe and smoke it. I don't care if you're man, woman, black, white, whatever. I'm going to, or if you're Democrat, Republican, or liberal, whatever you identify as, as a person, as a race, as a political candidate, if I think you're the best person for the job, I will vote for you. And when it comes down, if you take personality out of the equation, and you just compare what Trump has done and what he wants to continue doing with what Bernie wants to do, Bernie is worse for this country than Trump is in terms of the structure of how he wants to do things. That's the way I see it. So even though I love Bernie and I really liked his ideas, I, I don't think they're going to work. I think they're going to throw this country into a free fall that we don't need right now. So even though I hate fucking Trump as a president and as a person, I think keeping the status quo of him in there is going to be for the best in the long run. So that's, that's the only thing I'm trying to stress here, people, is if you're like me and you don't like Trump as a person or as a president, and that is what is going to dictate you voting for Bernie, check yourself. Think again. Because not liking somebody's personality 
in that being your driving force for not voting for that person or voting against that person might not be the best thing to do in the end. And that's what I checked myself on. I let my hatred of Trump push me to becoming a Bernie supporter. And I still support Bernie, but I'm not voting for him because I literally think he's going to fuck this country up more than Trump evidently is or has. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Don't let your hatred of Trump force you to vote for Bernie just because you don't like Trump, because I think Bernie is going to cause more problems than Trump has. So we just have to pick our poison people. On another note, have you guys seen the, uh, the newest Burger King commercial? Burger King is really uh, hitting home runs with the uh, commercials. Um, this whole plant-based shit that's been coming out. You know, Burger King has got the plant-based Whopper. You know, uh, Dunkin' Donuts has uh, plant-based options and all this shit. And I think research just came out that the plant versions of the fake meat as opposed to the actual meat is actually worse for you than the regular meat product. So anyways, you've probably seen all the different uh, Burger King commercials or Dunkin' Donuts or McDonald's or whatever advertising their plant shit, right? But there's a new commercial out there that Burger King's doing, and I don't know. It, it It's one of these commercials that just makes my jaw drop. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, like you know, and they have to start the commercial off with like, these these aren't actors. And it's like, bullshit they're not actors okay let me set up the story for you and tell me how you would act and tell me that these people aren't actors okay what burger king's doing in this new commercial is they basically hijack a high-end restaurant like in los angeles you got these extremely rich people that have no problem dropping 40 dollars on a cheeseburger $40 on a fucking cheeseburger and they go to like a legit four or five star restaurant in Los Angeles to get $40 cheeseburgers. But these burgers are like Gordon Ramsay type burgers. You know, they have like five or six different uh, types of, you know, ground beef and then they're cooked in like, you know, like a saute pan with butter and they're put on like this most amazing bread, you know, just, I mean, I'm talking the most high quality burger you can possibly get anywhere in the world. They're $40 just for a burger. So let's say that, um, you know, you got money, you got money to take your family out to a really fine, high, high, high end dining restaurant and you're in the mood for burgers. Like $40 fucking burgers. The best burgers in the world. And then Burger King sneaks in and replaces your $40 fucking burger with a Whopper. And then your waiter comes out and gives it to him. And this is what they're doing. Burger King goes into this super high-end restaurant where these people are ordering $40 hamburgers. And they replace the burgers that they really ordered with whoppers and then they bring it to their table and then the people just bite into them and then they have to be told evidently that hey you're not really eating a $40 Kobe beef burger you're eating a whopper and then these people are like oh really oh shit I didn't know that ah oh, these whoppers are pretty good and I'm just like there's no fucking way that these people couldn't tell a whopper from a $40 Kobe beef burger made by Gordon Ramsay. Are you fucking joking me? Does anybody see past this bullshit? Is there anybody that watches that commercial that goes, oh, I get it. 
Whoppers are great. People at a four-star restaurant can't even tell the difference between a Kobe beef burger and a Whopper. And I'm just like, bullshit, you can't. And that's just the other thing. You watch any of these fast food commercials, whether it's Wendy's, Burger King, Jack in the Box, whatever the fuck it is, right? And they show their burger. Does that burger in the commercial ever match what you get when you unwrap it? Anytime I've had a Big Mac or a burger or anything like that from a fast food restaurant, it looks like it was literally run over by a truck, right? You open it up and there's it, it's like flat and the meat looks like it was just puked up and it looks, looks fucking horrible. But when you see a Whopper or a Big Mac on a commercial, it looks like the shit just came out of Gordon Ramsay's restaurant. That's, that's false advertising, bro. Have you ever gotten a burger from McDonald's or Burger King and had it look anything like the fucking commercial? No. And let me tell you something. I wish I had the money with my production company to, to set up a challenge like this. I want to challenge some of these commercials. I want to do my own Burger King commercial where I go into a real Gordon Ramsay restaurant where people are ordering the best burger in the world and paying $40, $50, $60 for it and then replace their burger with a real burger that came from McDonald's or Burger King and see if they can fucking tell. They'll be able to tell instantly. And not only will they be able to tell, they're probably going to punch me in the face. <laughs> That's what non-actors would really do. So I'm just, I'm just wondering, man, is there anybody that watches any of these commercials and really buys into any of it? The burgers don't look like that in real life. And anybody that's really dining at a high-end restaurant that's ordering a $40, $50, $60 burger, you don't think they can tell when they bite into a Whopper as opposed to their high-end burger? Give me a break, dude. There's no fucking way. Just like when Burger King came out with that plant shit and they're giving it to these like southern cowboys in Texas that are supposedly beef experts and they're biting into a Whopper and they bite into a plant Whopper and they're like, oh, I can't tell the difference. And it's like, Bullshit, you can't tell a fucking difference. I could. Don't tell me you can't tell the difference between something made out of plants and something made out of fucking cardboard or whatever. Ugh, drives me nuts. What else? What else? What else? You know what's, uh, you know what's kind of scaring me a little bit lately? Is, uh, you know, for, for a good five, six, maybe even seven years, the last five, six, seven years, I really haven't drank. I don't drink. About six, seven years ago, maybe even eight years ago now, for some reason, just like overnight, I would have one beer. And halfway through that beer, I would start feeling like I was hungover. Like my body would ache and I'd get a headache. and It, it, would, it would just be like, what the fuck? I, I just couldn't handle it. Every time I would take a sip of alcohol, my whole body would like tense up and I'd get like headaches and shit. I don't know what the fuck it was. And that made me quit drinking. And I literally didn't drink for like five, six, seven years. Not even a sip of alcohol. I would just smoke weed. And I'd say in the last year, I've started socially drinking again. Sometimes I even drink when I'm home alone. I love bourbon. Jack Daniels, love it. Um, I can drink bourbon straight up, just a chilled glass of bourbon, no kind of, you know, ginger ale or coconut. I just straight up bourbon. Love it on the rocks. So anyways, um, something I've noticed is, you know, 
I started drinking alcohol, obviously, way before I was legally able to do it. Back in my teens, mid-teens, like, you know, 13, 14, 15 is probably when I first started to drink. And I drank my whole life up until maybe I was in my early to mid-30s. And then I quit. And then I'm back again. And when you quit drinking as an older adult and you take five years off and then you start drinking again, you kind of forget what that whole alcohol buzz does to you. I forgot. I forgot what an alcohol buzz felt like because the last five or six years, the only kind of buzz I would ever get on would be weed. So when you take a break from alcohol and you start drinking it again, and now I'm a lightweight, I have a glass of wine or a couple of beers and I'm, I'm pretty lit up. You know, it don't take me much anymore, man. My tolerance is next to nothing. So even I, and, and I love wine. You give me one glass of wine and I am, I am pretty toasted. Um, but that's been the crazy thing, man, is, you know, they want to talk about gateway drugs and drugs that kind of open your mind up to maybe do something heavier. And this is, this this opinion isn't coming from anything other than life experience because I'm 41 years old and I've been smoking weed and drinking for my whole life. And I can honestly tell you that because I quit drinking and didn't drink for so many years and now I've started drinking a little bit again, that the alcohol buzz as opposed to a marijuana buzz is vastly different. When I smoke weed, I'm content. I, I might even get a little bit of anxiety or a little bit of uh, panic. It kind of makes you a lot more cautious about shit. You question whether you should drive or not. You question whether you should do this or that. As opposed to alcohol, no matter how fucked up you are, if you question, should I do this? You're just like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do it. You're buzzed? Oh, yeah, get in the car, drive. No problem. But if you're on weed, you're like, fuck, dude, I, I shouldn't drive. I'm fucked up. You know, you're more cautious when you're on weed. You kind of think shit out more. But when you're on alcohol or you got a, you know, you got an alcohol buzz going on, all your inhibitions just go right out the window. Drive? Absolutely. Do this? Absolutely. No problem. And that's what kind of scares me. It kind of scares me because, um, you know, I've been there, I've done that. And I know right from wrong. But when you start to drink a little bit of alcohol, all of your inhibitions and all of your standards kind of just go out the window. You know what I'm saying? And the more I hang out in public again and the more I'm starting to drink again, I'm finding myself when I do get buzzed on alcohol... I start thinking about shit I shouldn't be thinking about because now all your inhibitions and your standards are out the window. And I can tell you lately, when I've been drinking, I can just feel that like darkness creeping up, you know? And that's why, you know, I can tell you unequivocally that when you want to talk about a gateway drug, a, a drug or a substance that can steer you in the direction of bad shit, it's alcohol, 100%. And I've been there. I've experienced it. And anybody who has drank and smoked can tell you the same thing.
You know, if I were to smoke a little bit of weed right now, I'd probably watch a movie and then fall asleep. If you were to give me a little bit of alcohol right now and we'd keep drinking, in a couple hours I'd be looking for some cocaine. I'd be looking to get into a car and drive somewhere. Do you think those are good things? Fuck no. But that's what alcohol would do to you. Alcohol lowers any standards of how you want to live or how you want to act. And it just makes you, you know, it's almost like those cartoons they had when you were a kid where you have a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other. And when you get a weed buzz, you kind of have the angel the voice of reason saying, nope, we probably shouldn't do that, or nope, we probably shouldn't do that. It's the voice of reason. But when you drink, that angel goes away, and it's just the devil on your shoulder. And when you're like, should we drive? And the devil's like, absolutely, but, we're, but we've been drinking. The devil's like, so what? So you'll bounce off a couple guardrails. We'll get home. Don't worry about it. Should we have unprotected sex? I don't have a condom. Ah, worry about it later. Exit strategy. Fuck it, you know? That's what happens, man. So when I continue to hear people in 2020 on YouTube or Twitter or whatever say that marijuana is the gateway drug and not alcohol, it's just like, buddy, have you done weed and alcohol to be commenting on this? I mean, I, I always knew that weed wasn't a gateway drug, that if there was one gateway drug that could make you want to do other drugs and not give a shit about the repercussions, it's alcohol, not weed. We were talking about this the other day. Do you know how many ex-heroin addicts and pill addicts I know that got off of that shit by smoking weed? That's what they don't want to tell you. Weed is not a gateway drug. Weed is helping people get off of heroin and off of cocaine and off of shit like that. It's the people that drink alcohol. And don't tell me you can't relate to this. I have absolutely zero interest in doing cocaine again. But you get a couple beers in me or a couple glasses of wine in me and my brain starts trending in that direction. So if you want to talk about a gateway drug, it's alcohol, people. It, it 100%. I've always thought that way, but now I'm living proof of it. So anytime I drink, my mind starts to go down that road of uh, getting into trouble. Not necessarily with cocaine, but just with anything. It just makes any of your inhibitions or standards that you had just go right out the window. And you just, you, you don't think rationally about shit. So I got to be careful because the more comedians I hang out with and the more shows I do and the more back in public I am, there's a lot more drinking that's involved. And I know when I get to drinking, my standards go right out the window and I start doing and thinking stupid shit. So I just, I need to be careful. I need to be careful because alcohol and the whole buzz, it's very social, it's fun, but at the same time, it can take you down a road that can, you know, end up, you know, having you in a lot of fucking trouble. So just keep that in fucking mind. Everything in moderation. You know what I'm saying? Um, so yeah, I've talked for like, for what, 58 minutes? And I don't remember anything I've talked about. So hopefully that's a good thing. So yes, anyways, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. That's about all I got. Um, there is... There is an infamous comedic open mic tonight that I'm going to go do, and um, I don't know how it's going to turn out. 
So tune in next week or later this week for another podcast, and I will tell you how my open mic went tonight. Because I got into stand-up about seven months ago. I didn't read a book about stand-up comedy or how to do stand-up comedy or how to formulate jokes. I just, I thought I was funny. I thought I looked at the world in a lot of funny different ways. I wrote a lot of jokes, and I've that's how I've been doing it. And a few weeks ago, I actually bought a book about stand-up comedy. And it was suggested by a female comedian that I highly respect, and she's kind of taken me under her wing. And I'll be honest, this book is kind of fucking me up. Everything I thought I knew about how to do and write stand-up comedy, this book is telling me just the opposite. So in the last week, I have not written any new material. All the material that I have to talk about tonight is about pretty much embarrassing me. They're all true stories about shit that's pretty pathetic and, and embarrassing. That's what the book is telling me to do. This book is telling me to not try to be funny and not to try to tell jokes. It's telling you to talk about embarrassing, true shit. So that's what I'm going to try to do tonight, is I am going to throw away everything that I've been doing the last seven months, and I'm going to take that stage tonight and try to be more real than I ever have. And I'm going to talk about some really personal, embarrassing shit in my life, because that's what this book is telling me to do. And I'm a little apprehensive of it. And I'm a little apprehensive of it because I have, I have a lot of skeletons in my closet that are extremely embarrassing. And if I need to start to talk about some of those things in order to get more of a laugh, I don't know. I'm a little nervous about it. This is what the book is telling me to do. You know, the lady that suggested this book has been doing stand-up for 25 years, extremely successful at it. Um, so I'm going to listen to her because she knows a whole hell of a lot more than I do. And um, even on nights when she comes to this particular mic when everyone else is bombing, she's not. She's fucking hilarious. She just knows how to do it. So I really appreciate her taking me under her wing. But this book that she recommended, like I said, is really fucking me up. Everything I thought I was doing right so far in my comedic career, this book is telling me I've been doing wrong. So now I'm going to try to change it up. And I'm not going to take the stage telling jokes or trying to be funny. I'm just going to tell true, very embarrassing personal stories about my life and kind of make fun of myself. That's what the book is telling me to do, and we're going to see how it goes. But the reason I'm so apprehensive about it is because unlike other shows I've done where I'm actually trying to be funny and I'm doing material that I find to be funny, this is different. Now I'm talking about my own personal shit, which I find to be tragic. But evidently, other people find comedy in other people's tragedy, right? So in my eyes, I'm going to go up on stage tonight and pretty much embarrass myself. And I think it's going to make people depressed. But according to this book, people are supposed to laugh at it. But I feel like I'm just going to depress the hell out of people and like just have them feel bad for me because of all this shit I'm going to talk about. But this is what the book's telling me to do. So I don't know. You know, that's that's another thing, man. Like, I thought I knew a lot about stand-up comedy before I started doing it. 
And then once I started doing it, I realized I knew nothing. And then after seven months of doing stand-up comedy, I thought I had somewhat of a grasp how to do it. And seven months in, I'm kind of hitting the reset button, being like, shit, I thought I knew some shit, and turns out I haven't. So that's all I'm trying to do, man. I'm I'm trying to find me on that stage, and I think I'm going to go through several ups and downs and trials and tribulations before I find me on that stage. Because I know when I do find me and I'm able to do me on that stage, I think I'm going to be successful, you know? Especially if I have to talk about shit that bothers me, whether I experienced it 30 years ago or 30 minutes ago. You could, I could pay a therapist or a psychiatrist or a psychologist just so I could get this shit off my mind and feel better about it. Or I could go talk about it with a bunch of strangers, get it off my chest, not have to pay a doctor, and maybe get some laughs out of it. And laughter, I think, is one of the best medicines out there for depression, is being able to laugh. Like last night, I was really bummed out. Really bummed out. And I hate feeling fucking bummed out. But I was bummed out. Somebody made me bummed out last night. Somebody I care about greatly, who is already extremely negative, depressive person, has literally hit rock bottom. And this is not somebody I can kick out of my life. I can't. I can't turn my back on family. I won't. But what do you do when you have a close family member that is literally the most depressed, negative person on the planet? And every time I talk to this person, they drag me down with them. Now, normally, if I had somebody in my life that was that toxic and negative, I, I would move away. I would never talk to them. But what do you do when you have a person that, 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 that's that negative and pessimistic that is related to you closely? What do you do? I don't know how to handle it. And maybe I'll even talk about that tonight on stage. I don't know how funny that is to you people. It's not funny to me. But then again, I'm not trying to perform stand-up for myself. The whole reason I'm doing stand-up comedy is to try to get the room to laugh. And maybe that's how I've been going about it wrong. I've been doing material and writing bits that I found were funny. But what I find funny might not be what that whole room finds is funny. And one of the first things this book tells you to do or tells me to do is don't go on stage trying to be funny. Don't do it. And don't go on stage telling jokes. And I've been doing those exact things. And those are the first two things it tells you not to do. So I'm literally going to go up there tonight doing the exact opposite of what I've been doing. And I'm a little nervous about it. Because like I said, I, I, I'm going to talk about shit. But I just feel like I'm going to depress the fuck out of that room as opposed to make him laugh. But this is what the book's telling me to do. And there's a comedian that's been watching me the last seven months that told me to follow the book's instructions. So that's what I'm going to do. But I'm going to be the first to admit that I'm apprehensive about it. And the reason I'm apprehensive about it is I don't care about embarrassing myself. I don't care about telling strangers you know, intimate details of my personal life. I don't give a fuck. But what I do give a fuck about is I want to get laughs. That's why you do stand-up comedy, is to try to get a room to laugh. 
And I just feel like by talking about how pathetic my life is, it's going to make people depressed as opposed to laugh. Whereas when I told my dick and shit jokes, sometimes everybody would laugh, sometimes nobody would laugh. But at least some of the shit was funny. But if I'm just going to talk about how tragic my life is, I just feel like I'm going to depress everybody as opposed to making anybody laugh. But this is what the books tell me how to do. They're telling me what to do. So that's what I'm going to do. So um, I literally don't know what I'm going to talk about. The last week I've been kind of analyzing my life and trying to write down anything I could think of that might be uh, funny to the crowd that's true and depressing for me, but they might find it funny. And maybe that's why I've been kind of depressed the last week is because I've been reflecting about on my life, trying to pick out all sorts of embarrassing shit that I've tried to forget that I need to bring back up now in an effort to make you laugh. So can you see the sacrifices I'm making? I'm basically opening up healed wounds of my life just so I can attempt to make you laugh sir or ma'am in the crowd. Look at what I am sacrificing for you. <laughs> All right, so anyways, that is my horse shit for today. I thank you for tuning in. We will talk to you uh, on the next episode. Until then, remember to have your pet spayed or neutered. And remember to laugh. Life's too short. All right, thank you so much. Later. Later.